Probably all of us have a story of something that we, we did when we were younger that we shouldn't have done. Something that we did that was kind of dumb and we had to face our parents. We had to confess to our parents. You probably have those stories. And, and at the moment when you did them, there was nothing funny about it. At the moment that you did it, your parents were mad at you. But now, years later, it's just part of the family story now, right? I mean, you, you can just laugh about it now as a family. Remember that time? And, and you sit around at, at Thanksgiving. You sit around at birthday, time, birthday parties or whatever it was. You start talking about those family events. And, and you laugh about what you used to be angry about. Uh, for example, my brother David. Dave is the oldest in, in the, the, the brothers. And... Uh, <clears throat> We were, they were, I wasn't even born yet, but they were living down in Anderson, and Dave liked to play with matches as, as a young boy. Kind of still does, but, but he liked to play with matches as a young boy, and there was this big field beside our house, and he set the field on fire, and the fire trucks from all over had to come. I mean, it was a big fire. Uh, it had to come and put out that fire. Now, I want you to know something. At that moment, my mom and especially my dad were not very happy. I wasn't around, I wasn't born, I don't remember it, but I remember hearing stories over and over and over. And when they told the story, they'll always laugh about how Dave set the field on fire. If you thought about it, you probably could come up with several examples from your own life. When you broke something or snuck out of the house, or you generally got into a lot of trouble. But now, years later, you and your family can actually laugh at what you did. Then there are certain times when our kids do something and we feel like we'll never laugh again because our hearts are so broken. We want to help them. We want to fix them. We want to change them. But all we can do is watch them as they struggle in their sin. If you've ever had a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter, you know reality of parental pain, that sense of helplessness as you watch your child self-destruct. Here's the question we're going to look at today. What is it that enables someone to change? What is it that enables someone to change? Because for some of you, you probably have a son or a daughter or a grandchild. And that's what you desperately want for them. You want them to change. Or maybe some of you, especially over in the Life Center, maybe you're the one. And you feel like, I desperately need to change. I know my mom is broken hearted. I know my grandfather is broken hearted. I am the one who desperately needs to change. You know, we've all heard people talk about hitting the proverbial rock bottom. And we'll say things like, well, they're never going to change so they hit rock bottom. But I don't know about you, but, but I've actually seen people hit what I thought was rock bottom. And then they fell further into their sin. Uh, they, they got so low, I thought they can't go any lower. And yet they do. In the story of the prodigal son, I think we can begin to see the turning point for anyone who is struggling in sin. We learn from the story of the prodigal son 
What causes a person to change? So as we open God's Word, we're in this series called Journey. And if you open God's Word with you to Luke chapter 15, going back to that familiar story that we call the prodigal son. Well, your, your Bible may have the heading, the parable of the lost son. But really what we're talking about today is, what is it that enables someone or causes someone to change? Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, and he set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in what, church? Wild living. After he had spent everything there, I'm sorry, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. Now, before we can understand what causes someone to change, we need to first talk about the insanity of sin. Write that down if you're taking notes. Number one, the insanity of sin. You can't understand what causes someone to change until you understand the insanity of sin. I looked up the, words, uh, looked up the synonyms for the word insanity, and the synonyms are foolishness, absurdity, and irrationality. In other words, sometimes what people do just doesn't make sense. You've probably seen people in your own family, your son, your daughter, your grandchild, your brother, your sister, maybe your mother or your father, and what they're doing doesn't make sense. There's nothing logical about it. They're caught up in sin, and their decisions and their actions are foolish and absurd and irrational. And we're left shaking our heads thinking, why would they do such a thing? We're left shaking our heads wondering, how could they do such a thing? We see the insanity of sin in the story of the prodigal son. We're told three things about him in verse 14. If you want to look at your text, there's three things in verse 14 that show us and lead into helping us understand the insanity of sin. In verse 14, we see that, first of all, he spent everything that he had. Remember, what he had was everything that his father had given him, uh, one-third of his father's lifetime wages. He had a good chunk of change in his pocket when he left home. Here's the insanity of sin. He spent it all. And Jesus said, I think it's in verse 30, that he spent it all in parties and prostitutes. He took everything that he had and he blew it. And then the Bible says in verse 14, there was a severe famine in the land. In other words, he was not in a pleasant place. This was not a pleasant time. This was not an easy place to be. This was not a comfortable place for him to be. There was famine in the land. And then the Bible says in verse 14, he, was, he began to be in need. That's a nice way of saying he began to be desperate. He had no money. He had spent it all. He's living in a land of famine. And now he's desperate. He's got no answers. He's got no recourse. He's in the middle of a sin. And it's not what he thought it was going to be. But he doesn't know what he's going to do. He's desperately in need of 
something. And so then we pick up the story in verse 15. We would expect the verse 15 to read this way. So he went home. I mean, in verse 14, it says that he squandered everything that he had. There's, there's a famine in the land. He was in desperate need. So you would expect verse 15 to read this way. So he went home. That would be logical, wouldn't it? That would be reasonable. He's in a land of famine. He's got nothing to eat. He's in a land of famine. He's got no job. He's in a land of famine. He is in great need. He's in a land of famine. He's got nothing left. He spent everything that he has. The common sense, common sense would tell you, logic would tell you, it's time to go home. Verse 15. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. Now, for a Jewish man, this was as low as you could go. Of course, the Jews would not associate with pigs. He was not only associating with them, he was feeding them. Instead of going home, he went to the the pig pen. Have you ever seen anyone that you care about make one bad decision after another? And just when you think they will turn around, they go deeper into their sin? Just when you think they're going to come home, they turn and go the other direction, deeper into their sin. And this is how bad it got in verse 16. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. He longed to fill his stomach with the the pods that the pigs were eating. More than likely, it was this that he was feeding the pigs. I got this when I was in Israel several years ago. It's from a carob tree. It's the pods of a carob tree. Uh, They're native to the Mediterranean, the Middle East. Very similar to what we would call locusts here in South Carolina. And in fact, that that might very well be what John the Baptist ate. You know where, where you read in the Gospels that John the Baptist ate locusts and wild honey and we usually think he ate insects? Well, the locust probably was this. This is also called locust, but it's the carob tree pod. And, and it's a substitute in our day for chocolate. Sounds pretty good. <laughs> so, so this is what more than likely he was feeding the pigs. And as he was tossing this to the pigs, he realized how bad his situation was. They were eating better than he was. They had more to eat than he did. See, the insanity of sin is that you can get into a situation where you know you're in a mess of your own making and you stay there feeding the pigs. So there is the insanity of sin. If you want to understand how people get into the situations they do, you first of all need to understand the insanity of sin. It doesn't make sense. It's not logical. It's irrational. When he was feeding pigs food, when he could have gone back home where there was more food than he would ever need. But he chose the pig pen over home. That's the insanity of sin. What is it that causes someone to change? Well, beyond the the insanity of sin, there also must 
be this point where they face the reality of sin. We'll put that down, number two. They face the reality of sin. Look at verse 17. Verse 17 says this. When he came to his senses, you might want to underline that in your Bible if you haven't already. When he came to his senses, it's, it's the key phrase in the whole story. This is the hinge point of the whole story. When he came to his senses... When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I, in my mind, I imagine him holding the pods in his hand. As he's feeding the pigs, and he, he eventually comes to his senses. He begins to look at something differently. And he says, You know what? I wonder how many of my, servant, my father's servants, they have more than enough food to eat. And here I am feeding the pigs. And the Bible says he came to his senses. I don't know if you've been on social media this week, but if you've been on social media at all, you know the two big stories of the week that everybody's talking about. Reclining seats and standing brooms. Well, if you've been, apparently you haven't been on social media. I bet those in the Life Center know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm not going to get into the reclining seats. It was about an airplane story about should you recline your seat or not. And this guy bumping the seat. and uh, I've got a very strong opinion about that, so I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Um, but the standing brooms. Anybody, anybody, let me just see, uh, over in this service, how many, how many have stood up your broom this week? All right, a couple of you over, over in the life center. How many stood up your broom this week? I bet a lot more hands. Let me explain to you what we're talking about. Lisa, one night, Lisa showed me this picture from her sister Sue, and the caption was something like this. NASA has, has declared that this is the only day that the earth is at the right axis for this to work. And there was a picture of a broom standing up in Susan's floor in her house in Florida. I mean, it's just standing there. You just, it was just standing there. I looked at that picture, and I thought, that, 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 no, no, that, and then I looked at it again, I thought, well, maybe so. So I went and got my broom. And I, I worked on it for just, it just took me about 30 seconds, and all of a sudden, my broom is standing up. I started to bring one on the platform, but I was afraid it wouldn't work. It'd be the wrong day, you know, it's, Earth's not on the proper, and, and so... My broom's standing, I've never seen this before. I've never ever seen my broom standing up by itself like this. And so I'm, I'm about to lose my mind. It's like, this is incredible. The earth's axis is just, it's just amazing. It's standing up and it's just, a, and so I start Snapchatting pictures to my family. And we're all going crazy, standing our brooms up. And Kelly couldn't get her broom to stand up. She kept trying and trying. and So it's this big deal. And then... Lisa Googled it and spoiled all the fun. It has nothing to do with Earth's axis. Your broom will stand up any day of the week. It's one of the modern brooms. If it's one of those straw brooms, I don't know. I don't think that'll work. But if it's one of the modern brooms, then your broom will stand up any day. So Lisa Googled it, and all of a sudden, I came to my senses. You see, I literally, for, for a brief moment... For, for a brief moment, now don't make a joke about this, but this is really what happened. For a brief moment, my brain stopped working. 
I know you think that's the case all the time, but for a brief moment, my brain stopped working. For a brief moment, I believed the lie about the earth's axis. And the reason I believed it was because of what I was seeing. I didn't believe it because Susan told us. I believed it because of what I was seeing. And I believed a lie. Until I came to my senses. You see, my logic wasn't working for that moment. That's what I want you to see. For that brief time, logic wasn't working for me. I was believing a lie. And for that son or daughter, that grandchild, maybe your mom or dad, maybe it's you. If you're caught up in sin, logic stops working. And you believe a lie. That's why we step back and we look at people who are caught up in sin and we say, how could he do that? Why would, she go, why would she keep going back? And we ask all of these rational, logical questions. But you need to understand, because of the insanity of sin, we believe a lie and believe, believe it so much that our brain stops working for a while. Logic is out the window because of what we imagine we're seeing. Look at verse 15, verse 17. When he came to his senses. Notice the word when. It took him a while to come to his senses. When. It eventually got there. But when. It took him a while. When he came to his senses. That means that his logic wasn't working. Then it did start working. It suggests that up to this point, the, the whole concept, when he came to his senses, suggests that he had not been himself. He's, have, you, have you ever said, boy, he's just not acting like himself lately? She's just not acting like herself lately. That was the story of the prodigal son. He had not been acting like himself. And all of a sudden, holding the pods in his hands, feeding the pigs came to his senses. All of a sudden, logic started working again. And he saw the absurdity of the way he was living. See, here's the turning point in the story. Don't miss this. This is the turning point in the story. The pain he was living in, the problems he was part of, became the catalyst to turn his heart back toward home. I want to say that again. The pain he's living in, the problem he's, he's a part of, it became the catalyst that he needed to wake him up and face his situation. Have you ever had a pig pen moment? A pig pen moment is, is one of those times when you look at your own life and you say, surely there's a better way to live my life than the way I'm living right now. He had a pig pen moment. Surely there's a better way to live my life than the way I'm living it right now. I'm spending my life feeding the pigs. Surely there's a better way to live my life than the way I'm living it right now. I'm going to say something to you. I'll make sure that you get both statements. So listen to both of them. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the bad news is that walking into sin 
will eventually lead to emptiness and misery every time. The good news is, if you are a believer in Christ, that emptiness and misery will lead you back to the loving Heavenly Father. You see, that emptiness and misery serves as a reminder that there is a place, there is a home, there is a person waiting for you. And He loves you more than you could ever imagine. Let me summarize what I've just said again. The bad news is, if you're a Christian, you can't sin and stay there very long. And enjoy it very long. Or you can go there. You can enjoy it for a while. But you're not going to enjoy it very long. Those the Lord loves, He disciplines. And you'll find yourself eventually in a pig pen. But the good news is, God can use that mess that you're in as the catalyst to remind you there is a home, there is a place, there is a person who loves you more than you could ever imagine. Look at verse 17. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. Sitting on the slop of his sin, this prodigal son realizes He's really made a great mistake. He's abandoned his family. He spent his inheritance. And now he finds himself in the worst situation of his life. Sometimes it, tastes, it takes tasting the bitter fruit of sin for us to realize the sweetness of God's love. This young man confessed that his father was a generous man. He said, my servants, my father's servants back home have plenty to eat. My father's a generous man. He thought he was going to be in a better situation because he left his father to go to his dream. What he found out was his dream became a nightmare. What causes someone to change? Here's the third thing. First one was the insanity of sin. The second was the reality of our sin. You come to your senses and you recognize the reality of your sin. But it, but it has to go beyond that. The third thing is this. Owning your sin. Owning it. Verse 18. I'll set out. He has this inner dialogue. And Jesus it's telling this story, tells us the inner dialogue this man has with himself. I'll set out and go to, back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. Jesus, as he's telling this story, basically shows that the young man stands up in the middle of the pig pen and decides to go home. He stands up in the middle of the mess of his own making and decides to go back to his father. But before he takes off, he comes up with a speech. It's interesting that he's rehearsing what he's going to say. It's a speech that he hopes will somehow repair the relationship with his father at least enough to allow him to come back as a servant. His speech is simple. It only has two lines. The first line is right on the money. The first line is this, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. 
He doesn't start with excuses. He doesn't start with reasons why he left. He doesn't start with what's wrong with his father. He starts at the right place. He just comes out and he owns his sin. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Those words are reminiscent of King David in his repentance. Put your finger in Luke real quickly. Go over to Psalm 51. Or if you don't have time to turn there, I'll read it to you. Psalm 51. David owned his sin in his sin with Bathsheba. And here's how how it reads in Psalm 51. Verse 2, wash away all my iniquities. Look, look for the word my. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. And then he says in verse 4, against you and you only have I, son- have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. When David realized the depth of his sin, he didn't try to make excuses. He didn't try to blame anybody. He didn't talk about how bad it was at home. He doesn't ref- try to cast the blame on anybody else. He owns his sin 100% of the responsibility. I know my sins, my transgressions. Against you and you only have I sinned, O God. You know what I found out over the years in doing pastoral ministry? When you talk to somebody who's called up in sin, one of the ways that you can be sure whether or not they are truly repentant is if they're willing to own their sin. And one of the ways you can be sure that they're not truly repentant, that they don't really mean what they're saying, is when they're trying to blame others for what they've done. I've seen it over and over and over throughout the years. So it really comes down to, do you own your sin? Are you willing to own your sin? That that was the first line. The second line in this man's confession, in his speech, is very different. In the second line, he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I want you to feel the weight of that for a moment. Feel the weight of that statement. Feel the shame of having to say to your father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. You see, in this young man's mind, he has sinned so bad. His failures are so monumental that he comes to the conclusion he's disqualified himself to be treated as a son. It's an interesting part of the story because a young man has fallen prey to the lie, to another lie of the enemy. You see, he fell prey to the lie of the enemy when he left home. That that happiness is down the road wherever you're not. It, it's, you got to leave here to find happiness. He fell prey to that lie. And then he falls prey to another lie. Believing the lie that, that he's gone too far and he's gone too much to ever be his father's son again. There are two realities about our relationship with God that we often forget when we let God down. One of the things is we sometimes forget the never-ending love of a good father. I want to do, we don't have time to dig into this, but I want you to understand something. The love that God had for you, or has for you, is a love that never ends. You never disqualify yourself from being a child of God. You never stop God loving you. Romans 8, what can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus? And the conclusion is nothing. 
The second reality we sometimes forget when we let God down is the nature of God's forgiveness. Because the nature of God's forgiveness is not based on your conduct, good or bad. The nature of God's forgiveness is based on the blood of Jesus shed for your sin. So when a prodigal is standing in the pig pen preparing his speech to go home, he was radically underestimating the love of his father. May I remind you what 1 John 1.9 says? 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just. Uh, you need to understand those two, those two parts of that sentence, those two parts of the verse. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just. Let that sink in for a moment, prodigal. Let that sink in for a moment, the reality of a loving Heavenly Father who's just waiting for you to come home. He's already decided He loves you. You see, that verse says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So even when we're unfaithful to Him, He is never unfaithful to us. I love that that. That old hymn, one of my favorite hymns of all time is, It is well with my soul. And in that, that favorite hymn of mine, there is a favorite line. It says, My sin, oh the bliss of the glorious thought. And here's my favorite line. My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. So I want to close but. Saying two things. One to those who are a prodigal. And then to those who may have a prodigal in your family. First of all, if you are a prodigal, don't stay in the pig pen another day. Don't believe the lie that you've out the grace of God. Own your sin and realize that your heavenly Father has never stopped loving you. And He wants you to come back home. If you have a prodigal, I'm going to ask you to pray three things for them this week. Pray that they will see the insanity of their sin. Pray that they will come to their senses. Pray that they will own their sin. You can't get more biblical than that in your prayer time. Pray that they will see the insanity of their sin. Pray that they will come to their senses. And pray that they will own their sin. Last night, or yesterday afternoon, I was here at the church working, trying to finish up this message. And just as I was typing and finishing the message, I literally, just as I was finishing the message, I was just listening to Spotify on my computer, just as I was listening to or, or uh, typing up the last part of the message, Lauren Daigle's song came on, Come Alive. You, you may not know the words or who Lauren Daigle is even, but listen to the words of this song. Through the eyes of men it seems there's so much we have lost as we look down the road where all the prodigals have walked. Now I'm just finishing this message, and this comes on. One by one, the enemy has whispered lies And led them off as slaves. But we know that you are God. Yours is the victory.
We know there is more to come that we may not yet see. And so with faith you've given us, we'll step into the valley unafraid. As we call out to dry bones, come alive, come alive. We call out to dead hearts, come alive, come alive. Up out of the ashes, let us see an army rise. As we call out to dry bones, come alive. Listen to the next verse. God of endless mercy, God of unrelenting love, rescue every daughter, bring us back the wayward son. And by your Spirit, breathe upon them and show the world that you alone can save and you alone can save. As we call out to dry bones, come alive. Come alive. We call out to dead hearts, come alive. Come alive. Up out of the ashes, let us see an army rise. As we call out to dry bones, come alive. The insanity of sin. The reality of sin would come to our senses. That leads us home. The insanity of sin, the reality of sin, but but just owning our sin. That leads us home. Father, against you, And you alone have I sinned. Lord Jesus, would you pray with me? Lord Jesus. I want to pray for those prodigals that may be listening right now. Whether online or here in one of our services. I pray God that for the first time in a long time. Maybe they'll start thinking clearly about what they're doing. How they're living. I pray they would come to their senses. And rather than blame someone else, I pray they'll own their sin. I pray that today they'll turn back to their loving Heavenly Father. Lord, I pray for those dear parents in any of these services or listening online that their hearts are heavy, their hearts are burdened. We call out to you, help them to those dry bones to come alive. Those dead hearts to come alive. Work in our sons and daughters and in our grandchildren. Work in the lives of those that we love. Bring them back home to their Heavenly Father. And in the name of Jesus, may we see lives changed. For His glory, in His name we pray. Amen.